probably 20 of my, my images on my site that are shot in my house, which to me is really great because I think it just kind of proves to photographers that you don't need a million dollar budget to get good creative work. It just requires a little bit of imagination and a little bit of, uh, you know, being, being a problem solver. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenneth Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. So I am, without further ado, very excited to bring on, for the very first time here on Creative Live, Kate Woodman. And Kate is a commercial and editorial photographer. Like I said, she's based in Portland, but she was born in Germany and grew up in Connecticut. Um, she, like I said, works both in the commercial and editorial worlds. Um, she has a client list that include Airbnb, Nike, Harman Kardon, Marie Claire, British Vogue, and so many more. If you know and love her work, you know that she has a very cinematic narrative style, is all about color, and we're going to dive into some of those topics Super excited to hear how she started her career as an engineer and then um, went to New Zealand and then became a photographer. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and again, um, her, her work is very unique and stylistic. And so we are going to dive right in. We've got, we've got West Virginia, Chicago, Liverpool, Bend, Oregon, Jersey City, India, Nashville, Colorado. All you out there, please give it up for Kate Woodman. Kate, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Kenna. Thank you for having me. What a marvelous introduction. I wish I was I wish I was exciting in my day-to-day -day life as I sound on paper. <laughs> well, I believe you are. We all are. <laughs> um, Kate, how are you? Where are you joining us from? I said Portland, but um, yeah. but yeah, what it is now we are recording this. We are it's April 1st. We're now in April. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Um, happy, happy one year quarantine anniversary. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I, April is, um, turning out to be a crazy busy month. I'm in the middle of multiple bids for some commercial jobs, which is awesome. Um, it's nice to see that sort of start up again after last year's insanity. Um, so I feel like there's, there's hope on the horizon. So well, that's good for everybody to hear out there yeah, as well. Yeah. There is hope on the horizon for all of us, uh, all of you who are working photographers. So talk to us about this, the commercial world. Um, before we dive back into some of your, your history, what are the types of, um, when you say you're putting out a bid, uh, what are the types of, of jobs that you have done and are going for and, you know, how that came about? Yeah, so um, about five years ago, I, I decided to to make the switch into full-time photography. And at the time, I was kind of, I, I thought I was going to be a fashion photographer. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do, I'll do the editorials, I'll do, you know, all the fashion stuff. And then quickly kind of realized that while I appreciate fashion, I'm not, I mean, 
I'm not a, I'm not a fashionable person. I don't care about trends. Um, I like fashion as this kind of like means to an end in in my imagery, which to me is all kind of about storytelling. Um, and so the natural kind of progression for me was to sort of jump into the commercial realm where I think there's a little bit more room for conceptual uh, work and, and these sort of narrative, narrative series or stories that I can tell um, that maybe just aren't as prevalent in either the portrait or, um, or the fashion realm. So, um, and, and I think kind of aesthetically, my style sort of lends itself well to that kind of um, commercial realm. So um, with that being said, I've, uh, I really have only kind of in, in the past five years started getting a rhythm in the commercial scene over the last two years, I would say. It takes some time to kind of make those inroads in, in that realm. It's, it's pretty competitive. Um, but I've been really fortunate thus far that the projects that I've been able to work on in the commercial realm are pretty well aligned with my style. So like, for example, last year I did a shoot for Airbnb. Um, it was at the last blockbuster in the world, which is located in Bend, Oregon, um, a couple hours from, from where I live in Portland. And the whole concept was let's take this back to like the early, late eighties, early nineties style with these like, you know, the like teal and pink and blue colors and like the retro furnishings and all that, which if, if you know anything about I me, mean, nostalgia is kind of like my jam and being the nineties kid that like grew up in that time frame and went to blockbuster on the weekends all the time. It was like, it was, it was magic. Like I could have stopped at that job and been happy um, but I, you know, I think it's been really, it, I've been, I have been fortunate in that the other types of jobs, whether it's, you know, healthcare stuff or, uh, lifestyle stuff, it, it all, pe when you kind of define, uh, figure out your style, people come to you and they look for that kind of style. Right. Um, and so I've, I've been able to, um, kind of work within my aesthetic while getting paid to do these commercial jobs, which has been really amazing. I mean, that's the dream, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You're living the dream, Kate. Um, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> tried. But I think that's the, the I want to dive into a number of the things that you talked about, because a lot of people, there's defining your style, finding your style, um, doing the work to show what that is. Yeah. Um, and then... So that, and then figuring out the landscape of the commercial world, you know, or the editorial world. And so it's all just like these building blocks um, that you've, you know, been able to, um, to, to do. And therefore, you know, it's, that's why we wanted to, to share um, all of, uh, you know, how, how you've done that or um, the, the journey along the way, because I'm sure it wasn't um, all easy peasy at all. No, no. <laughs> so let's, let's dive into the, um, the aspect of the of of your style because I know again a lot of people um know you for the the that cinematic look that narrative the conceptual side so yeah. so I mean how did you um how did you go about showing that to the world it sounds like it was a lot of personal work is that correct for sure I mean 
finding a style is definitely a journey. I wish there was there was a shortcut to being able to just like snap your fingers and, and figure it out. But um, no, I mean, it, for me, it was it was a journey kind of finding what interested me and how I could translate that visually while simultaneously trying to put that out into the world. So you're trying to like figure who figure out who you are while you're trying to promote who you are, which is an interesting kind of process. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's iterative. There's, there's an evolution to it. Um, but to give you kind of a, a brief synopsis, a synopsis of how I kind of came into my style, I started photography on the landscape side of things. So I have always been interested in, um, you know, beautiful scenery and vistas and like the colors and sunrise and, you know, every, all the reasons that people get into landscape photography. Um, and that was when I was living in New Zealand, which has all these amazing landscapes. Um, but then I moved back to the States and I was living outside Philly, which doesn't quite have the same atmosphere. <laughs> so at that point I was like, well, I still really like photography. I'm going to jump into something else. Um, and so I, I actually went the complete opposite direction and started doing portrait and fashion photography. So I set up a, a studio in my house and shot almost exclusively on a painted backdrop that I, I had painted for myself um, for probably the next year, year and a half or so. Um, and at that point, I, you know, I, I, I was considering the fashion realm and um, thinking that was the direction that I wanted to go. But I still was drawn to this landscape side of things too. And there was such a huge disconnect in both of those things. And I was like, you know, I, I have to find a way to, to merge these together and kind of make them fit in the same space. Um, and so over time that involved experimenting more with shooting on location and then eventually getting into composite work um, and so, you know, over the course of many years, I mean, it's still evolving, but um, that kind of progressed into the, the the sort of aesthetic that I have today, which I think merges both the 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 landscape or the environment and the context, and then the people themselves. Um, and for me, what it comes down to is um, I want to tell a story, but I want that story to have have context and to be able to kind of relate to it in a way where it's not just, you know, this face-to-face -face interaction. It's about what's going on in the entirety of the scene. Um, and so, yeah, if I'm just rambling, please let me know. But. No, I actually, I wanted to jump in because that's um, why I, I wanted to talk about uh, some of your particular images, because as you, you know, are describing creating the scene, the character in it, there's this definitely this element of character and sort of ambiguity of you, you see something's going on, but you don't really know yeah. what the story is. So um, I, maybe we can pull up um, one of your images at um, a few, we have a few images. And, and again, if you're listening to this audio, why you can go to Kate's website and it'll be pretty clear as to what we're talking about. Uh, but the, the first one being, there's this uh, image that you have uh, where you're in a, a gas station. Mm -hmm. And the light is very dramatic. I'm also curious, a lot of these are panos as well. Yeah. I'm curious if that's the cinematic side of it. Uh, but there's a woman and she's 
you know, got a bag and another woman. So, so tell us about sort of the creation of this image. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you picked that one because it's one of my favorites and I feel like it's really kind of encompasses all of the things that I want to include in my imagery. Um, so the, the kind of backstory to all of this is I live um, about five minutes from that gas station and in winter in Portland, it can get really, really foggy. Um, and, you know, fog, cinema, that kind of like haze, like I'm obsessed with it. So um, I, I had driven by this gas station a number of times. I was like intrigued by the colors and by the lights and, and the geometry of it all. And woke up one morning pretty early while it was still foggy. And I was like, I'm just going to go drive by, see see what's up with this gas station, see if it's that that fog is catching some of the lights. And, and sure enough, it was. Um, it was open at the time. I'm pretty sure that the gas station attendant thought I was some crazy, insane person for taking photos of it at six o'clock in the morning in midwinter. But those are the weird things you got to do to get the shot. Um so yeah, so I, I grabbed um, a shot just of the gas station alone. So without any people in it, because the challenge of working in environmental stuff or landscape stuff is you're you're kind of beholden to the the conditions, right? So get calling up a model at four o'clock in the morning to come out and get ready in hair and makeup and, and do that. She probably wouldn't have been a huge fan of me, but um so uh, yeah, so I had this this plate of an image, um, and and I think uh, speaking to the the panoramic aspect, I think a lot of that comes from my landscape background, um, and but also cinematography. I mean, typically in movies you'll see like a sixteen by nine or a twenty one by nine aspect ratio, um, so that definitely gives that kind of cinematic effect. But um, but yeah, so uh, I think. I think that uh, that particular location lent it well, itself well to that kind of composition. Um, and at the time I was doing a lot of experimentation with composite imagery um, for those reasons I had listed, right? Like it's, there are just a lot of logistical challenges with getting people on location at the right time. Um, and for me, composite was a way to kind of make everyone else's lives easier except myself in the post-processing aspect of things but um, can I just can I just hop in and say yeah I did not know that this was a composited image it good hold it (laughs) (laughs) I did like I literally thought this was a set you know so so how do you then go from in this particular case like this plate to adding the elements of the the characters within it yeah, so that's that's the fun part, and that's kind of the conceptual part of of the work. And um, I have hundreds of plates that are just waiting for ideas to pop into my head. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I sat with this one for I don't know at least six months, if not longer, um, just trying to think of what what would what would make sense in this scene and. Um, you had mentioned something before about like creating the sense of kind of ambiguity and that's exactly it. Like I love a story that um, it feels like kind of a a out of context uh, still from a movie, right? Where you like, you put on a random movie, a hit pause and there's a scene, but you don't really know what's happening. You kind of have to decipher it from that one still. So 
um, that's kind of always my my aim with with my work. But um, I that's think exactly that's exactly it. Like it is. And because I know on like you also do stills on sets. Yeah. And so like when I was looking at those on your website, it took me a minute to realize, oh, this was an actual set versus yeah. your images that like look like a set. <laughs> so yeah. definitely that. I just I'm just living in my own movie, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. So um so yeah, then I mean, the concepting is always the really interesting stuff because it's there's no true process for it. It's just sometimes you wake up with an epiphany, and sometimes you have to wait six months to to figure out and massage an idea that that makes sense in in the environment that that you want to put it. Um, so I think this is this was kind of a combination of both, where I was just I, I had nothing for a while and then one day this idea just kind of came to me and I was like well it's a gas station let's and it looks kind of like sort of 80s cyberpunky so let's get these characters in here that are sort of dressed in in that kind of style um, we can make it a little bit more fashion um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have her carrying a gas can and the, the other girl's gonna be lighting a cigarette and they're gonna look like they're twins and it's it's kind of it's kind of creating that decisive moment right where it's like you you've set up the rise and climax and and or and you're there's like a moment of tension but you're not you're not quite there yet there's there's no resolution you don't know what's gonna happen next um, and so for that I felt like the you know the the carrying the gas can, the lighting the cigarette was just like, are they gonna are they gonna light this place up? Like what what's happening right. passing through? So and and I really like to kind of leave it to the viewer to to come to their own conclusion as to the resolution of the story. So it's really interesting because I've heard you say before that you're in, in, in there's kind of not that there's only two things, but there's people who are like myself who like street photography, documentary photography. You just mentioned the decisive moment, which for me is often I think about that as like documentary. So then yeah. to do a conceptual decisive moment, I think is super interesting. And I've heard you say that like that you're not street photography. Is that correct? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm the opposite. I mean, it, but that's a really interesting parallel. And I like, hadn't, hadn't really, really thought of that. But I think in general, that's kind of what draws me and probably a lot of other people to photography is this kind of moment in, in still form, where you can't see around it, right? You can't see what happens before you can't see what happens after. So if you can capture something that's kind of right at that pivotal moment, that leaves so much to the imagination. And I think that really engages with, with the viewers. Um, so whether you approach that um, from the photojournalistic perspective where that's really just about timing um, and that, that requires a whole level of skill that I certainly don't have. I'm very much like, this is a production. I'm, I'm like concepting this out for months ahead of time, planning out all of the, the minute details um, and making sure that you know, this this really is kind of a planned, crucial moment. Um, but at the end of the day, we're still trying to achieve the same kind of response. Yeah, it's super interesting. So heavy on the post uh, or heavy on the pre-production. Yeah. T tell us about how important that is to the type of work that you do and kind of some of the what are the the 
the teams that you put together um, to to be able to create this type of work? Yeah. So pre-production is it's incredibly important for for my stuff. I think for my personal work, um, but also at a lot. I think part of what has has helped me kind of grow commercially is there's so much pre-production in the commercial world, um, especially when you're dealing with clients and a lot of uh, op- different people's opinions. Um, that all has to be really hashed out as much as possible ahead of time. And I think coming from a conceptual, more uh, production-based background, that's kind of set that that up well. Um, I've set myself up well for success in, in the commercial world right now. I'm working on a treatment that I've been working on for five days straight. Um, and it's all just like planning and planning as much as you can beforehand so that you can give your client reassurance that you'll be able to execute the job when you're ready to go out there and perform it. Um, and it's the same process for my personal work. I just want to make sure that I've given everything the attention that it deserves, making sure I'm not missing anything crucial um, from a narrative perspective ahead of time. So that way, when I'm ready to go out and take the shot, the vast majority of the work is already done for me. And and that doesn't mean that there isn't room for improvisation in in the shooting process. I think that that stuff is, it's really important to kind of keep an open mind and not stay too um, tightly honed in on your, on your plan, because if you don't allow for a little bit of that, then you might miss something really fantastic. Um, but I think I, I firmly believe that the better you kind of prepare and set yourself up, um, the more effective your work will be and the and the more quickly you'll be able to execute it as well. Yeah, nice I mean, it, for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super interesting because again, there's like all this pre-production, and then in, I'd imagine then a, a good amount of post-production, especially when you're doing the compositing as well. Yeah. And the, I mean, so you start to think about it, and you're like, wow, there's you know so much that goes into creating this these types of images. I, what I'm curious about is you have some images that are like just that image and you're telling, a, like you said, a whole decisive moment in that in story, in that image. Mm-hmm. Then you also have series with the in. So yeah. when, when do you, are you, are you kind of always thinking about a series? Um, mm-hmm. And then like, maybe it just turns out to be one image or how do you think about it when you're um, maybe talk about a series that you have that, that, and why you did series. Yeah. I think honestly, a lot of the the decision making that on that has to do with the the process. So with composite stuff, if I have a plate, I just have the one plate. Um, and often it's, you know, from a place where maybe I can't get back to it anytime soon or um, I can't kind of recreate those conditions. So for those, if I have kind of an existing backplate, I want to make sure that I'm creating a story um, within that image that is kind of fully encompassing. Whereas with um, the narrative series, those are almost predominantly like 100% shot on uh, on location in situ. Um, there's very little compositing that happens in those. Um, and there's also a little bit more of a kind of like free flow state, I guess, when when those are produced. So I do kind of have these different approaches 
um, to shooting from from a technical perspective. And I think which one that is kind of dictates what what the eventual series or story is going to look like. Um, the I, I it's hard to say if I have a preference because I think they both kind of serve different purposes. Um, but I coming from a background where I'm just so obsessed and enamored with um, with movies and film and that sort of thing, I feel like the the narrative series to me is like kind of going back to the the film stills thing, right? Like if I could pick ten uh, still frames from my favorite movie and have to make those frames tell the complete story of the movie, which one do you which ones do you pick, right? And that's that's the puzzle. Um, which the challenge of that is really fascinating to me. Have you ever actually done that as like a deconstructing one of your, like that, what, what you just said, like take a movie and try to pick 10 stills. That's Um, interesting. No, I mean, I, I, I've done, I've definitely done some like analysis of, of frames in, in a movie for different purposes, like dissecting composition and and lighting and color and all that stuff. But no, I haven't actually like sat down with a favorite movie and been like, all right, let's distill this into the 10 top shots and see, see what we get. But it would be an interesting exercise to do. I think it would be. I think it would be for everyone out there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you have homework to do now. Homework, yeah, exactly. Um, let's dive into because it is very your your colors are very cinematic, and there's the you know these dark and so and and I know you teach about color. Um, mm-hmm. So so talk to me about how sort of that um, I don't know fascination with color came about for you. I know you have art history background or just love of, um, yeah. and, and then. What do you think about it with regard to color as you approach a project? Is yeah. that, does color come first or, you know, that, yeah. Talk to us about color. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I could talk for three years about color. Um, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think I can really pinpoint a, a, a time or a point where I was like, okay, I am going to really focus on color. It was just one of those things that kind of naturally came through my work and and honestly it wasn't something that I had noticed uh specifically in my work until other people had started pointing it out you know sometimes you like you need to get outside perspectives to get a sense of what is actually going on here um but um I have always been interested in in art and art history um I have a degree in art history prior to that I was always like drawing and painting Um, And so, you know, having taken art classes since kindergarten, I feel like I um, kind of just by accident developed a fairly strong sense of of color and mixing color through paints and um, and kind of what that looks like. And and I think a bit of a, a side note, but I feel like if photographers really want to know about color, they need to they need to study painters because painters have a true understanding that photographers just like can't possess due to the nature of their craft. Um, so having a bit of a background in that, I think has kind of helped that process. But um, the other thing that, that seemed kind of in retrospect seems kind of a, a pivotal moment for me with regard to color 
doesn't have anything to do with photography, but it has a lot to do with interior design. Um, we, my husband and I bought a house and we re renovated the whole thing. Um, and obviously when you're renovating a house, you know, color choices and matching colors and that sort of things becomes really important. Um, and I found that I became really kind of obsessed with, with that, uh, with the color aspect of things during, during the renovations, um, and really focusing on things like how does color shift in different lighting in different spaces? How does it make it feel in terms of scale? Um, and those were kind of things that I, I, I sort of picked up in that process and somehow was able to apply to, to my photography. And I want to say both like figuratively and literally because you've done a lot of work in your home. Is that correct? Yeah. And, yeah. and um, especially perhaps in this past year as well. Uh, but, but I'm curious then about, and, uh, and about like, do you, as you're walking around your house, um, are you actually then like seeing scenes in your own home because you've used it as a set a lot. Yeah. So if I wasn't a photographer, I would probably be a set designer or an interior designer because my uh, my master's degree is actually in historic preservation. So I am obsessed with old houses and old architecture, um, which is probably why you see a lot of interiors and architectural features in my work. So it's nice to know all these things and all my millions of dollars spent on education have kind of come come together in some way. Um, uh, but yeah, so I do, I do actually use my house, um, that I'm currently in a ton, um, for my personal projects. And in fact, there's, I, I don't, I don't know, there's probably 20 of my, my images on my site that are shot in my house, um, which it, it, to me is really great because I think it just kind of proves to photographers that you don't need a million dollar budget to get good creative work it just requires a little bit of imagination and a little bit of uh you know being being a problem solver right and and making the most of the spaces that you have and i think one of the really amazing things about color is it's such a transformative element in a scene so you had asked previously about kind of my decision with regard to color um do i do i think about that prior to shooting, absolutely. I think about it in, you know, ambient, like what are my ambient colors in the scene? What do I have to work with initially? What do I have, um, what can I add in styling or props that will introduce certain colors for either an emotional or conceptual um, purpose? How does that tie into the existing colors? Um, I've painted walls in my house for uh, for specific photo shoots. Um, and then, so there's there's kind of like the pre-production side of, of color and it, always thinking about, you know, what do these colors mean? And all color has meaning for, for different, different people and different meanings in different contexts too. And then there's also color on the, the post-production side of things, which to me is kind of like the, the thing that, that ties everything together. But I don't want to rely on color just in the post-processing side of things because at that point, you've, you've, you're there, right? You're, your cake is baked. This is just the icing on it. Um, so if you didn't have the right ingredients in the first place, then you're, you're missing out. So, yeah. 
it's so i mean it's it it's I understand why all of your, like you said, all your different backgrounds um, and the things that you're passionate about and have learned about um, the interior design, the art history, the architecture, you know, that all plays into your images. And I'm, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about the, the spaghetti image. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you guys could all, if you're listening to this, to see it um, on, you know, on her Instagram or her website. Um, but in terms when I think of color, like there's this bright red dress and then there's blue and then there's like nuances as you go within. So how did you, and is this your house? And then, um, and then how did you approach? And we also, for watching the video, we saw your dog in the background. (laughs) So we saw your dog in the image. I love it. Um, so talk to us about the creation of this image. Yeah, so uh, that was my dog's favorite photo shoot ever because he got to eat the spaghetti off the table. He was super stoked about that. Um, yeah, so this is this is an interesting one because it kind of came off of uh, a, a random idea that I had. I think I was browsing Pinterest and I saw like a picture of this like glam woman eating spaghetti at an Italian bistro somewhere, and I was like okay, I like this idea. How can I take this and make it me? Um, and that's, that's, that's kind of at the heart of it, right? Is like, we get inspiration everywhere. But for me, I want to like, I want to take something and, and make it uniquely my own. Um, so I decided that I, I was going to start with this woman, this glam woman eating spaghetti in the house. But I knew that I wanted to include more of the environment because that's what I do, um, and to provide more context. And so it, it kind of was this kind of iterative evolutionary process of, okay, here's the starting point. And then this is how I kind of make it a little bit more me. I'm going to shoot in my house. It's, it's cheap and easy that way. Um, I know kind of the mood that I want to create as this sort of mysterious vibe. So I'm going to go with a nighttime scene, which means introducing like blue gels in my lighting, um, for that kind of nighttime effect. And then, you know, I have, if I have blue, I need something to contrast that and to bring out the color, um, or bring out our subject. So I'm going to put her in this orange dress. That's the complement blue. Um, and then my spaghetti has, uh, has these kind of like orangey tones to it too. So this is, you know, this is a split or a complementary color scheme. And so that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of a walkthrough of how my brain goes through this process. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's it's all the pieces are kind of there, but you don't really know what it's going to look like until you actually get there and shoot it. But as long as you have those components kind of generally figured out initially, once you get there, it's it's easy enough to put put the pieces together. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the story of, of that one. I love it. That's um, one of my favorites. Yes, I love it. You mentioned earlier that you're, um, you know, painter and uh, you hand sort of hand paint your backdrops, and then you turn that into a business. <laughs> Talk to us about your backdrop studio and sort of like what that evolution was in terms of you know you mentioned you started to paint your own um and and are they things that people physical or digital backdrops talk to us about that 
Yeah, well, I decided I didn't have enough on my plate, so I was going to start a side hustle because why not? Um, no, well, I mean, I mentioned when I first started shooting fashion photography, you know, like many people who, who are interested in that, it was all about like the hand-painted Oliphant style backdrop, but, you know, I didn't have the Oliphant budget at the time. So I was like, I'm, I'm just going to make something for myself. How hard can this be? And it turns out it was pretty hard. Um, but over, over the years, I, um, kept painting new ones um, because I, I I have this this problem where I have to reinvent the wheel every time and I can't use the same props oh. at, at all. So um, yeah, just I just kept kind of painting new ones and then I, all of a sudden I had this inventory of hand-painted backdrops. So I started a little Etsy shop and started selling them off that way. And then before I knew it, people started asking me for custom backdrops, um, which was cool. And, and definitely for the first year or two in business kind of kept me afloat. <laughs> so um, it's always good to diversify. Um, but after a while, um, I kind of wanted to sort of stray away from the hand-painted aspect of things just for timing. And um, it's just, it's a lot of work and I commend anyone who, who does that. Um, so instead I started kind of First, I started digitizing those so that I would have digital kind of textured backdrops. Um, and then this just kind of snowballed into the whole the whole backdrop studio thing. So now I have the hand painted ones. I have the, the digital ones. I have printed ones. And then through kind of, again, revisiting my my older landscape stuff, I've started to kind of create these more um, unique, like painterly landscape style backdrops too, which has been a really fun sort of side project for me to kind of create art in a way that's a little bit more different than my my traditional conceptual stuff. Um, and I I just think it's cool because you have so many options to add different um, different backgrounds and different kind of visual components to to an image and really change them up that way. So. So yeah, that's that's been about a year and a half of of the this experiment. So, <laughs> well, I just I, it is it is a great point um, to folks listening out there. Like, yeah, diversifying and thinking about you know if there's something that you're that you're drawn to and you love doing, you know, those are things that maybe you can provide for others. Um, yeah. So, it's yeah, it's really cool. Um, to and you guys all go check out is it um the backdropstudio.com is that yes. where people can check that part out okay yeah. awesome we'll get yeah. to that later too but um let's talk a little bit back go go a little bit back in your story of this link between engineering and um and and how has that kind of played into your, I, I always think that people's like in retrospect, we can see how like the different chapters of our lives come together. So yeah. what kind of engineer were you and, and how does that fit? Yeah. So I got into photography by accident through my engineering job. I was sent to New Zealand to do earthquake damage assessment. Um, and then, you know, kind of on these, these side adventures fell into landscape photography that way. Um, but uh, I, I think it's, I've always been kind of both a, a technically and creatively inclined person. So 
they they've always been uh, I don't know if they've been warring with each other, but there there wasn't really a way for them to kind of merge, I guess, until I kind of discovered photography. And I think there's an analytical side of me that's very type A and I like to plan everything and I like to problem solve. Um, and then um, there's the creative element too. And I think photography is kind of the perfect way to really merge both of those those skill sets um, and to use those, those technical tools to create. Um, to me, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's the dream. Well, it, and you can see that. I mean, you can see that in sort of the, yeah, the architecture, the, the um, yeah, just the different elements. Uh, and, and I am not a pre-production producer, like all of that. And it does, it takes a very certain skill set and you can see um, how those all line up to make what you do. Um, like you said, truly you. And I think that's so important for people out there. It's like, how do you take all this inspiration, but then <clears throat> make it truly you? Yeah. Uh, what are some of the things that you're most excited about um, moving forward in terms of, mm. um, I know you mentioned at the beginning, um, some commercial work, but maybe, maybe on the personal work side, I noticed that you had, um, done a short film getting into motion. Is that something you're continuing to explore? Yeah. So, uh, there's, there are far more things that I want to do in my life than I will ever be able to actually do. So there's always something on the horizon. Um, I did just do my first kind of broadcast uh, spot commercial, um, which I, I directed on, and shot the stills for. So that um, that got me really excited. So I'm congratulations. That's thank awesome. You. Um, so yeah, I am I am definitely kind of moving into the motion realm, but. I've found kind of based on the trial and error process that I, I love to direct. I hate to edit and I don't want to do any of the camera operation. So if I can, if I can direct it and produce it and, and put the story together and work kind of in that realm, then um, that's definitely a direction I would like to go. And I, I, I do have some short film projects that uh, are somewhere, somewhere down the pipeline. I'm not quite sure where, but, they're, they're out there. Um, and then I have also been starting to dip my toes in the um, CGI realm as well. Um, so that's a whole, that's a whole thing too. Um, my, I think my ultimate goal is to be able to create these sort of 3D environments um, in spaces or locations that I wouldn't have easy access to as a photographer. So that way, you know, I could still shoot the the people elements and, and treat it kind of in the same way that I would a composite, but then the actual spaces would be these like CGI architectural renderings. Wow. And that takes the engineering part, you know, coming back and your arch yeah. you know, fascination with architecture back in. How do you yeah. even like what are you how do you do that? <laughs> uh youtube <laughs> lots lots of uh trial and error and, yeah. and youtube tutorials i mean uh, luckily i think i i have um i have a decent amount of background create like building stuff like i've done 3d rendering and 3d um 
design in my engineering job. So I, I'm a little bit more familiar with the tools to to build out the shapes and um, architecture is relatively easy because it's mostly just straight lines. I'm not like trying to make faces, which is crazy. Um, and then from from the the other aspect of things like the photography stuff comes into play really nicely in CGI because knowing how to light things is half the battle. So if you have a photography background, um, you're going to be able to light the scenes kind of in the same same way, potentially with even more control than in a real world uh, environment. Um, so I think those those elements, again, both like the photography and the engineering stuff will kind of facilitate that process. I hope we'll see. I'm very, very early in that process right now. But I love that that's I mean, that's it sounds like you have endless ideas and you're actually doing them. So I think a lot of us get like, oh, that's an idea. That's an idea. That's an idea. But like this hesitancy to even start um, because we're not sure how it's going to get there. At least I find myself in that state a lot. So I I, I mean, I'm just curious, like, do you, when you wake up in the morning and you've had a wild dream, when you have like, how do you maintain your ideas? Like, do you actually like have advice for people on, do you, do you write them down? Do you have like an Evernote doc? Like, how are you with all this creativity? How do you manage it? So I have, um, have a really this is this is my true engineer coming out I have an excel spreadsheet nice with all of my my ideas uh, and I recommend this to, to anyone um, that when you have an idea or you see something that inspires you and it could be anything um, I had a friend who like took an Instagram story photo of her boyfriend jumping in a hot tub in his clothes and I was like that's a cool idea for a photo shoot and so I did it. Um, so you like inspiration can strike anywhere in any way. And when it does write it down, like put it in a note on your phone, write it on a sticky note, put it in your Excel spreadsheet, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just write it down. And then if you, when you, when you have time to see if you can kind of compile those in sort of a master document, so it's organized. Um, but I do that. And, ev- and every time that I feel like I'm not quite inspired or I feel like I can't come up with an idea I will always go back and reference that and the vast majority of the time it it, there's an idea there that I can create or something I see there kind of sparks a new idea brilliant Uh, because I think there's the one thing of of capturing it and then the there's the other thing of actually going back and looking at them yeah. <laughs> and so if you've got it somewhat organized, then then you do have that spot to go to. For sure. And if you're and if you're more visual, I mean, I also have Pinterest boards, too. So that's also a great resource to and I, I go and revisit mood boards that I've made there all the time. Nice. I have um, maybe one final question for you, because this really uh, I it was on your Instagram um, and you you wrote um you know that one piece that you keep coming back to uh, when you think about uh, what you'll have to top, let me, let me read this again. You know that one piece you keep coming back to when you think about what you'll have to top, the, to feel like you're evolving as an artist. Yeah. This image is it for me. I haven't found it yet, but I'm still searching. Sorry for um, my poor grammar there. <laughs> no, I'm reading it. In, 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 <laughs> the thing you'll have to top to feel like you're evolving. Yeah. I mean, do 
you obviously are trying a ton of new things, but yeah. I mean, what is your advice to people in terms of, of continuing to evolve? Is it going back to one image? Is it, um, or, and, and does it have to be conscious? Does it have to like, yeah, evolution as an artist? I, I think that, I think that the the one thing and the only thing that you can do to evolve and grow as an artist is to just keep shooting and shoot what strikes you in the moment. If shoot what is going to advance your career, like it doesn't, it, it almost doesn't matter. You just need to like go through the process and take the steps. And sometimes you'll hit dead ends and sometimes you'll go back to a different spot. And sometimes you'll find something that you never expected. But if you're not doing the work and you're not shooting, um, you're not going to make that progress. Or if you are, it's not going to be as fast, right? Like I've had plenty of failures in my life. I've hit plenty of dead ends in photography. I've thought I wanted to do certain things and, and did them and found out that maybe they weren't things that I wanted to do. But I wouldn't have known any of that if I didn't just keep shooting constantly. Um, I'm, I'm lucky and I, I recognize the, the fact that I'm super lucky and that I'm always compelled to create no matter what. Um, I don't really struggle with creative blocks in, in that sense. Like, there are times where I don't know what to make, but I want to make something. Um, and in situations like that, I will I will schedule a test shoot without a plan, right? Because you never know what's going to come out of that. And you might get something epic. You might not, but it doesn't hurt. And every experience is going to be a learning experience and a growing experience for you. Great advice, Kate. And and again, coming back to this notion of like, we can have our favorite images or favorite pieces of work that we've created. Um, and, and yet, you know, there's, there's no there there, like there's still, you know, you don't, yeah. it, it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily want to have that. Like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, no. Because what's after that? Like, right. Right. Not exactly. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Kate, I know there's so much more we could talk about. There's, you know, you teach, you, um, you know, there's just so much that you have to share for people. Where can people find you, follow you, make sure that they are, you know, find the backdrop studio, make sure that they know where you're, you know, where you are teaching and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I would say Instagram is probably the most up to date in terms of content that's kind of my more curated portfolio stuff um i'm kate woodman underscore photo at instagram website is katewoodman.com i just joined twitter so i'm kate woodman art on twitter um and uh i think that's that those are the places i'm kind of most active and then the backdrop studio is the backdropstudio.com and the backdrop studio on instagram awesome Everybody go check all of those things out. Join uh, the many, many people who um, follow and love and are inspired by Kate's work herself. I want to give some shout outs before we sign off, Kate. Uh, we had um, Christian Rold who is saying she's a, another uh, 
hello from another structural engineer moving into photography and videography in Norway. So thank you, Christian, for joining. We had Jonathan in New Mexico. Uh, We had Amy from South Southern Sweden. Uh, We had Randy in Montana. And um, special shout out to uh, Richard Turborg, who is has Richard. also been Richard also been on the podcast. And uh, if you missed that episode, check it out. It's coming out audio, I think next week, actually. So awesome. um, yeah, if you ever need to go to Amsterdam, Richard's your guy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> He's amazing as well. Uh, and I want to give a special shout out to Renee Robin, who introduced me to you, gave us a little personal intro. So yeah. um, thanks, thank Renee. You. Yes, thank you, Renee. Renee just launched brand new classes on compositing here at Creative Live, I'm too. Excited. Uh, just launched yesterday. So very cool. Um, but back to you, Kate. Thank you so <laughs> thank you so much. It's just that's your little family, the community of photographers. For you sure, and yeah. And, yeah, we're all collectively uplifting each other. Exactly, exactly. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today Kate and um, just been great to to have you on and get to know more about your story and how you approach your work and super grateful so thank you again everybody we will see you here next time for future episodes of whether it is we are photographers here live on creative live tv or other episodes um, that we do here on creative live tv you can scroll down at the page if that's where you're watching you can rsvp to upcoming episodes and of course there's always the audio version of the podcast that you can subscribe to anywhere it is that you get your podcast we have over 100 episodes, I think 117 or so now. Um, So lots of amazing content and people for you to learn from and be inspired by. So that's it for now. But thank you again to Kate Woodman. I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, head over to creativelive.com slash creatorpass. As a creatorpass subscriber, you have access to over 1,500 classes on demand. Whether it's photo and video, art and design, craft, entrepreneurship, personal finance, or even yoga, there is always something to learn on Creative Live from the world's best educators. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review We Are Photographers wherever it is you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, and a five-star review goes a long way. You can stay up to date with everything happening on Creative Live by following us on social media at Creative Live everywhere. And I'm Kenna Klosterman on Instagram and at Kenna K Photo on Twitter. If there's anyone you want us to feature on the podcast, just send me a message. Thank you again for being part of the global Creative Live community, and I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers.